Hello and welcome to the first ever Active for Pets podcast. My name is Tom and today we'll be taking a look at some of the pertinent pet stories making the news and offering you our expert insight. I'm joined today by our Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Clay Jones, who brings over 25 years of veterinary experience as owner of the Jones Animal Hospital in Tampa. Welcome, Clay. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm very glad to be here. Um, I hope we have a nice conversation about travel with pets and about other topics. I'm sure we will. Also joining us is Caitlin, our social media expert. Caitlin has her finger on the pulse of everything pet news related, and I'm sure she has some good questions prepared for Clay. Welcome, Caitlin. Hello. So without further ado, October is an important month for animal lovers. It's National Pet Wellness Month, as well as National Adopt a Sheltered Dog Month. So with hopefully many of you looking at adoption this month, we thought it'd be interesting to take a look at some of the common issues affecting shelter pets to get you started. So Clay, over to you. What are some of the more common issues you see with shelter pets? Are there any signs we should look out for? Well, first of all, um Adopting pets, you should always first consider a shelter or rescue group. Um, there are very um, fine animals there, which make very good pets. These uh, dogs and cats are screened for behavior and health. They've been vaccinated, of course, spayed and neutered. And um, even if you're partial to a certain breed of dog, like let's say you wanted to have a beagle or you had beagles in the past, um, you can get on the internet or go to Google. You can type in Beagle um, Rescue, find a rescue group or a rescue beagle. And these are uh, animals that need a good home. So this is the, the uh, purpose of our talk today is always remember from the beginning, shelter pets and rescue groups. And I can speak to that. I, I have a rescue dog and I went into the shelter here looking for a chihuahua for my 500 square foot apartment. And I came out with a 60 pound uh, lab mix. So it's not to say that if you're looking for a dog that you're um, and you're looking for a specific breed that you're not going to find you know, the breed that you're looking for, but you also might find a dog that's just as loving and steals your heart just as quickly. Exactly. Um, there's a misconception about shelter and rescue animals. Um, they're not always abused and they're not dangerous or wild animals that they found on the side of the street. These are well-deserving pets that need a, uh, a home and all they really need is a TLC, some tender loving care, and they make fine pets. Clay, when I went into the shelter again, I fell in love with my dog. I didn't even ask any questions, took her home that day. But I did realize that there were probably some questions that I should have asked. So what are some things that any people that are considering adopting a pet should really have prepared and ready for when they do go to a shelter? Uh, one uh, important thing is to um, ask if they know how um, this shelter pet or rescue pet uh, was living beforehand. Uh, some did not have much exercise. They were inside, maybe in a kennel situation a lot of times throughout the day. Others were used to running around in a backyard or in field all day. So uh, it kind of gives you some background of what your um, pet's um, activity level will be and uh, behavior will be for the future. So Clay, there's a lot of people out there that when they go out and they decide they want a dog, they have their heart set on a certain breed of dog. So they only want this dog. So they think that the best place to go is to a breeder that specializes in that dog. Is that something that, is that true? Or is that something? Well, yes, you can um, 
go to a breeder and um, adopt a dog. That's a fine thing to do. But there's a, this, this option that we're talking about. Uh, a lot of times you'll be just as satisfied as getting a shelter pet that may be in the beagle breed, maybe a tiny bit of a mix. And actually that may be helpful because that induces a lot of health, which we call hybrid vigor or you know a mix of, of genes inside your background, which gives you a healthy pet. Would you say getting the animal's medical history when you adopt a pet is an important step to take as an adopter? Yes, the metal history is very important. Um, it generally is going to revolve around routine health care because, uh, you know, a shelter or rescue is not going to adopt out a seriously ill animal unless they describe it to you totally beforehand as a special situation. And of course, they would give you all the background on it and probably even give you a lot of follow-up uh, visits with regard to a really sick animal that you adopted. But mostly it revolves around preventative medicine. And um, with the preventative medicine, these are routine things, uh, being vaccinated and taking preventative medicine. So you've mentioned a little bit about how medical history and background are important to know as far as when you're adopting a pet. Are there any things that, you know, a lot of pets get surrendered and they don't really have a backstory? Are there behaviors that you can look for in the shelter or things that maybe the shelter workers could pick up on that would be important questions that you would ask for those pets that don't have that background? Yes, when you um, adopt a pet from a shelter or rescue group, um, it's very common for these pets to have this um, issue called being timid. Uh, timid usually has to do with socialization. It's not really a dreaded problem, but socialization meaning sometimes they haven't interacted with people much. So the best advice always is that after you've adopted your new pet is take time, don't get worried. The behavior will improve greatly and um, have your pet around people and around noises of people and about interactions with people as much as possible. And uh, dogs respond um, very, very quickly because remember, dog behavior comes from people. Good to know. Now, how long would it take for a dog to get over the ideas of being timid or if there's any kind of issues, lingering behavioral issues that maybe you didn't pick up on in the shelter? How long does that take? Uh, there's no exact time period. Um, most improve greatly very quickly within a few months, but we have some that are timid for their whole life, but it's not at, a, at an extreme amount at all. Excellent. Yeah, just to say that here at Active for Pets, we are very supportive of animal adoption. So if you have space in your home and in your heart, we strongly urge you to adopt an animal in need. And I hope we've provided some useful information to get you started. Okay, moving on to pet travel. Last month, an Air Canada pilot diverted an international flight from Tel Aviv to Toronto to save the life of Simba, the French bulldog, who was traveling in the cargo hold. Uh, the diversion was made because of a temperature malfunction and prevented Simba from potentially freezing and reportedly cost the airline some $10,000 in fuel. It also caused a 75-minute delay to passengers, not that any of them cared. So uh, as a pet parent who has traveled internationally with my dog, uh, I can definitely say that it's a nerve-wracking experience, um, both for myself and most importantly for the dog. So Clay, I'm sure many pet parents have questions about uh, travel with their pets. Can you talk to us a little bit about some good pointers for preparing to travel? And we can start with air travel. Yes, um, air travel uh, with your pet, especially if you're going within the United States, we call that in, you know, interstate. But if you're going outside the United States, international travel, you've got quite a few extra rules to think about. 
The first thing to um, remember is to plan ahead, which is uh, uh, not an easy thing to do sometimes. I've had instances in the past where people had called up the day of their travel and wanted to pick up their health certificate, uh, meaning they believed that was a, just a piece of paper that you picked up from your veteran's office. Uh, really, a health certificate is the document you need to travel with your pet on an airline, in this case. And what does that mean? That is a, that is a process. It's not just a piece of paper. Um, this process means you make an appointment with your veterinarian. Um, and give yourself some time. It's generally within a month period of time. And um, you make an appointment to have your pet examined for health, first of all. And then to document that um, your pet is healthy and properly vaccinated. And um, vaccination is the key to health and travel. We don't want viruses traveling across the United States, uh, especially the rabies virus, which is uh, the most important thing we talk about when we're talking about travel. Now, especially when you're traveling overseas with your pet, you have to be very careful because it's very, very complicated, unfortunately. It's not just a health certificate. It's also blood drawing and test results. So the best advice I give people is to go onto the internet, go to the country you're going to visit, visit their health department or their, their animal disease department. They have all the rules and regulations written there. And don't forget about Hawaii because even though Hawaii is part of the United States, you're really traveling to an island and there's very special rules about taking animals to Hawaii. So it's basically, you know, be prepared. It's not horrendous. It's not extremely expensive. So the first thing is always is the health certificate. And there's lots of other things to name as well. It's interesting that you mentioned the health certificate and the importance of traveling overseas. Um, in the news recently, Johnny Depp's wife is actually being charged with smuggling for not bringing the appropriate paperwork when she went and traveled to Australia while they were filming the Pirates of the Caribbean. So I'm assuming that these dogs were probably in her purse or going through customs that way so that while the people involved were notified about it, the country and state of Australia, I don't really know how to say that. Country. The country of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who regulates quarantine in Australia. So the... The people that regulate, you know, the animal transport in Australia didn't know about it. So is there a disconnect between that where as far as you see, like, people are much more friendly on a service level? Or is that something that where you need to be more prepared for any situation? And what can pet owners do? Especially, you need to be extra um, uh, worried about when you travel internationally. It's not really a worry, but there's a process that you have to go through. And remember that... Um, when we're talking about health certificates for animals, we're also talking about public health. Um, in Australia, of course, they're very worried about the rabies virus. In Florida, we have the rabies virus everywhere because we have so much wildlife in Florida. But we don't want those viruses to be in our pet population, dogs and cats. And if you travel with a dog and cat, there has to be absolutely documentation that we are properly vaccinated and we don't have any signs of disease of lots of viruses, including the rabies virus. So, in, uh, in this scenario with uh, the Depp family, um, they made a mistake, and that happens commonly, and that would mean you would go into a quarantine, which we're going to talk about in a moment. All right. What exactly are they looking for? Speaking of quarantines, 
Speaking of quarantines, what exactly are they looking for in a quarantine? Like, why would they need to hold your pet for any amount of days, much less, you know, I think some countries have up to 30 days quarantine where you can't have your dog and they have to keep it at the airport or in a special building? Generally, the quarantine re revolves around your paperwork. Now, it's not paperwork in the sense that you forgot to check a box or you have a typo or you misspelled somebody's name. It means that the documentation and the process was not correct to ensure, absolutely documented, that a dangerous virus or any other type of dangerous disease, and our example now is the rabies virus, which is the main one. Uh, the reason why we're so worried about the rabies virus is that the rabies virus is fatal. It's, uh, it's a very, very uh, serious matter. We don't want a bat in Florida to bite a cat or a dog in Florida to somehow have the rabies virus in their body before they have signs of disease. They need to be vaccinated and everything has to be exactly documented. So that means basically proof that we have a dog going to Australia that um, does not have rabies. Some places don't have rabies. Uh, there's a few places uh, in the world, in different countries, they don't have rabies virus and they don't want anybody to bring it to them. In the United States, we have rabies virus. People get the rabies virus in the United States. Not very many, three or four people. They get bit by a bat or a raccoon and they generally don't know they got bit. Uh, fortunately, um, the rabies virus now in people, uh, they've made great strides to find more treatment options. But it's a very, very serious matter. So uh, the documentation about the paperwork is not frivolous. It's serious, but you go through the process. You know, give yourself time, go onto the internet and read all about it before you go. I think it's interesting that you bring up the point about, you know, maybe only three or four cases. People don't think that rabies is actually as big of an issue as it is in the United States. Um, just recently, a woman in Wyoming died from rabies. She got bit by a bat in August, didn't realize she was infected until several months later. And just this past week, she actually, the virus infected her. You know, we have this kind of, I guess, assumption that everyone here is basically immune because we immunize our dogs and cats but there's definitely ways that those viruses can still travel, and it's a good point to make sure that we are staying aware of that, especially when traveling internationally or just state to states, especially in Wyoming. Claire, I wanted to ask one quick question about travel, because I know if I were to try and put my dog on the airplane, what, if she were with me, she'd be fine, but if, as soon as we got separated, she would be freaking out, which the airline officials tend to you know, not be tend to frown upon. Uh, so that's about uh, sedation. Like what is something that, you know, is that something that you recommend? Is there thing, ways to get around that? Because I really don't want to give my dog, like, you know, drugs. Yes, that's a very important topic is I get this question very commonly about sedation of pets for travel. In general, um, I do not recommend uh, sedation for travel. Of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but, um, we do have tablet forms of drugs, anti-anxiety drugs that can be given in the rarest of cases. Um, but uh, aside from that, um, uh, there's been studies done on which animals have had trouble, life-threatening trouble while traveling on an airplane. And unfortunately, most of the ones that had trouble were the ones that were sedated. So sometimes sedation is good and sometimes it goes the other way and it's bad. Uh, the best uh, advice I can give is, uh, Pretty common sense things. Um, when you're about to travel, 
um, the day of travel, it's probably best to travel on an empty stomach. Um, dogs can get upset, have irritable bowel syndrome, have diarrhea or some other problem. Probably a good idea just to travel on an empty stomach, and that's very easy for pets to do for a, a day. <clears throat> Uh, the second thing is that um, if they're traveling with you on the plane, um, you're now allowed to carry them on the plane with a small carrier. Um, you're there with them, and that usually is a, is a calming effect. If you have an extreme example of a dog that has a separation anxiety or these other things, uh, talk to your veterinarian uh, precisely about it, and I'm sure he'll come up with um, answers for you with uh, regards to sedation. Just leading off, since you mentioned uh, traveling on an empty stomach, yesterday was National Pet Obesity Awareness Day. So um, really food is a huge issue. I keep hearing about you know, all of these pet food recalls, everyone's trying to go organic or gluten-free. So really I just wanted to ask you, what should I be feeding my dog? Okay, um, pet food is a huge, huge topic, and we could have a very long debate about which food is the best food. Um, I use the common sense approach with regards to food. We start from the very beginning, uh, especially with dealing with dogs and cats. We're gonna talk about wet food and dry food. Now, the benefits, and this is what I recommend, is that we always use dry dog food and dry cat food. Now, there's one thing to think about that with marketing of foods is that watching your pet devour food because it's very rich and probably very unhealthy, yeah, it's fun to watch, but is it really good for health? Um, when dogs eat dry food, they're constantly crunching. They have gigantic teeth inside their mouth, and those teeth are for something. Um, the more crunching they do, um, the less problems they're going to have with... Um, dental disease and um, teeth problems. Um, dogs are different than people, so are cats. They are not gonna get monotonous about eating the same form of dry dog or cat food every day of their life. Now, of course, you and I would go absolutely crazy if we ate the same meal every single day. Dogs and cats aren't like that. In fact, their health is probably better if they eat the same dog or cat food every day, as long as they're doing well on it. I always recommend uh, stay with major brand dog foods. There's lots of choices. And one small point I'd like to make is that it's very difficult to uh, read labels uh, about which uh, dog or cat food has a certain amount of this ingredient or that ingredient. Uh, my best advice is uh, major brand pet foods. Uh, Purina's a big one, Hills, uh, Kennel Ration, uh, there's real canin, um, and be very uh, uh, savvy about fancy packaging. A lot of times the dog foods are about the same, but the fancy packaging changes all the time with regards to different types of marketing techniques. So um, keep the common sense approach with dogs to dog food, and generally you need to realize that these major uh, companies, these pet nutrition companies, they... Uh, spend a lot of time researching dog and cat food. It is balanced. You don't need to uh, eat varieties of dog foods or variety of food groups or extra vitamins. You, you know, Balanced is going to mean all the food ingredients, all the necessary uh, food types you need are already inside the dog food. And that's, uh, that's something that everybody should remember.
I'm glad that you said that because there are definitely some organic food brands out there that just make me feel like such a horrible pet parent for not feeding my dog the $50 bag of food. So knowing that as long as I use common sense approach that my dog's going to be healthy is really a relief for me. I just wanted to ask a quick question about um, feeding schedules. I've been reading lots about grazing versus scheduled meal times. Do you have uh, any input on that? Yes, I have lots of questions about frequency of feeding. Um, I don't think it's uh, near as, a, as, a, as an important issue unless you have a, a disease or a problem. Uh, we have some dogs and cats that um, are diabetic. They need to eat at a precise time, uh, multiple times, depending on their medications. We have other dogs like a Doverman who may have a had a bloat problem in the past. His eating schedule may be different, but in general, healthy dogs, it's fine to feed a healthy dog or cat once or twice a day. But um, when we're talking about obesity, um, you know, leaving food down, you need to think long and hard about leaving food down. Um, that could lead to obesity. Um, I tell my clients that they can perfectly fine to feed their dog or cat once or twice a day leave the food down for a time period, and then take it back up. There's no problem with that at all. And uh, obesity, of course, is a huge problem in um, the animal health field. So overfeeding is one thing, and the caloric value of food, which is, sometimes gets very high when you're talking about canned food. So um, the old saying is that the leaner you are, the longer you live, and that's true. You know, it goes both ways, too. It works for humans as well. So. <laughs> So if your dog is obese, just throwing it out there, it is also National Walk Your Dog Week, so take, go out for a walk. Not that we need a week to celebrate walking yeah. your dog. You should do it every week of the year, every day. And another uh, item about treats. Um, I've had some clients who uh, I've, I've spoken to, and I, I've realized that really their dog's whole diet is treat. Um, you know, they don't really eat any dog food. They subsist on treat. Um, the way I look at treats are the best way is low calorie, of course. You have to be very careful not to get these Slim Jim type, you know, grease type of um, treat. Always use treat for behavior and for reward. That's the way I look at it. Um, one way, if you want to do something simple, you come home after a long day's work, you want to interact with your dog or your cat, have your dog sit and then give a treat or have your dog do some sort of behavior that's beneficial that you could reward them for. Um, that's, a, that's a good technique with regards to treats. Um, really with dog obesity, the old saying is if you lose, you can, I mean, if you eat less, you lose weight. That's very true. There's a few examples of how that's not true. It's not um, that common, but we have a few diseases. If you have your dog or cat on a diet and we're not really losing weight, uh, make an appointment with your veterinarian. Blood work can be done. There is a syndrome out there called hypothyroidism. We see that from time to time. And um, if you think that's going on, call your veterinarian's office. I'm glad that you touched on treats because my dog is a vacuum cleaner. She basically eats anything. Though I am a fan of giving her people food as treats, usually healthy stuff, carrots, um, sometimes cooked eggs, but is that something that, you know, me as a pet parent should avoid, or is that something, what, basically, what can I give her? Actually, you're What are right. the best the treats? healthy, uh, natural um, uh, treats are the best. Um, I have lots of my clients who use um, 
uh, carrots. I have some that use popcorn. Popcorn works really well. Just try not to get the really buttered up type. And, you know, popcorn, you can play games and throw it up in the air, but um, just, you know, use common sense about treats. It goes way overboard. I've done it myself sometimes, but keep in mind that health is always the, 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 the best uh, idea that we have right now. Keep things healthy. Okay, one last quick question, and I think it's tough. Um, my dog is a specialist uh, guilt tripper. Um, he knows exactly where the treats are in the house, and he will literally go and sit by the cupboard waiting for the treat. Do you have any tips for pet parents that experience similar issues? <laughs> we're we're taking hide the bag, I tell you. <laughs> we can go with Put that. the bag somewhere else. Put the bag somewhere else. I don't Put know down the fork. <laughs> How about no more treats? End of issue, how about that? Okay, so hide the treats is the expert advice <laughs> on that one. Thank you very much for that. We're coming to a close here, and I'd like to say thanks again, Dr. Jones, for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate your expert input. Uh, my name is Clay Jones. I'm technical services veterinarian for activeforpets.com, and I greatly enjoy this podcast. And just a quick plug for our company, Active for Pets is a health solution for people who love their pets like family. We offer mobile pet health records, online vet consultations, and second opinions for people who would like to be better connected with their pet's well-being. For more information, you can go to our website, which is www.active4pets.com. And I'm gonna pass it over to Caitlin, who's gonna give you some information on our social media. Uh, for more pet wellness tips and awesome pet stuff, be sure to follow Active for Pets on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Active for Pets. That's A-C-T-I-V for Pets. <laughs> <laughs>